0: Good morning a second time, everyone. Uh, Very excited to continue in our our series on Psalms. Um, Really looking at the the rich theology of this book that a lot of times when we're just pulling out verses or, you know, excerpts like that, we may miss out on. Uh, So this week we are talking about something that I think is a, a very misunderstood topic in theology in the church or at least individually. Uh, it's something that, honestly, this is a topic uh, that a lot of times when I have conversations with people about this, it really kind of saddens me. Uh, we're gonna be looking at prayer this morning and um, just the, the rich, incredible gift it is and how it's meant to be a part of all of our lives. It's not reserved for pastors or you know, the elders or things like that. Uh, and so we're going to just have an honest look at what do, what do the Psalms teach us about prayer? What do they lay out for us about our heart posture, our approach to it? Um, because I think, like I said, it's one of the things that really a lot of times we've maybe missed on the significance of this and its, its role in our lives. Uh, so before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, You are Messiah, You are holy, holy, holy. You are the beginning and the end. Before any of us were, you are. And we praise you for these things. God, we want to be a holy church. At least that's what we should want. Burden our hearts to be holy. Holy to give You our everything. You are so good and lovely and worthy. It is, it is such a joy to use our voices to declare Your praise. It is such a joy to open Scripture. It is such a joy to pray. So teach us in this time, Lord, please. May this be from you. May this be for you. May you be magnified. May Jesus be lifted high in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing when you're talking about prayer is we have to understand what does the Bible actually mean when it says pray? When it uses the word prayer, when it uses the word pray, what is it getting at? There are two primary Hebrew words in the Psalms that we translate as pray or prayer. Tefillah or tefillah, depending on which scholar you ask. I heard both pronunciations. Tefillah or tefillah and palal. And both of those words include elements that I think a lot of times we're missing in our prayers when we consider prayers. Like I went and I looked up kind of the English definitions of pray. And they had, like, the, the primary definitions of to pray and prayer, you know, maybe in the third or fourth definition, it had something about uh, making supplication, making adoration. But the primary definitions that we use in our language, was it was all to, to beg, to plead, to implore, to ask for something. Like, I want this, I need this. It was all about, you know, hey, here is what I am personally asking you to give me. Tephila means self-evaluation. It means to not just go before the Lord and say, hey, here's what I want, here's my task list for you, but to go before the Lord and say, okay, what did David say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. He talks about examine me. We're going to read Daniel's account this week, not the whole book. We're going to read a chapter in Daniel on prayer. And we're going to look at how Daniel, so much of Daniel's prayer life, is examination and evaluation Going before the Lord and saying, okay, who am I in front of you? In light of your goodness, who am I? And then realizing His unholiness and confessing it and seeking forgiveness and seeking redemption and praising God for His holiness. And then palal is to make intercession. To make intercession for. To intercede on behalf of. And I want to just quickly look at Scripture You know, a lot of times, and I'm, look, when we talk about these things, there are times where I am very much going to be guilty of these things that we're going to talk about. There are times where I forget these details, I forget these aspects, I forget these emphases, and I lapse into just self-centered, hey God, here's what I need you to do for me prayer. So I'm not saying that I don't do this. I'm saying that we have to evaluate ourselves and see what is our average approach to prayer. Right? We've talked about before, we've talked about prayer at different times in different series. There's absolutely a place for supplication, for saying, Lord, you are Father, I'm asking you for this. The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. The Bible says, you know, who, Jesus is speaking, he says to the people, who among you, if your kid came to you and said, hey, give me something to eat, would hand him a rock instead, so how much more does your Heavenly Father know to give you good things? So there's absolutely a place in going before the Lord in prayer to ask for things but we can't neglect these other elements of prayer. And the idea of to intercede for listen to how frequently the bible talks about interceding on behalf of others. First Samuel 12:23, Samuel speaking to the people of Israel. Listen what he says he says moreover as for me far be it from me that i should sin against the lord by ceasing to pray for you. I mean, Samuel says, look, i don't want to sin against god by neglecting to intercede on your behalf. Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 29.7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So a, a integral element of our prayer life should be self-evaluation an integral element of our prayer life should be intercession on behalf of others before the Lord but really why I love that the Psalms use these two words for pray for prayer is because it reminds me of my heart posture or what should be my heart posture I'm not going to do self-evaluation if I'm not walking humbly before the Lord I want to do self-evaluation, man. Have you you guys seen, you know, the official card I get from our denomination every year? It says, reverend. You all do self-evaluation. I'm good. If I'm not walking humbly for the Lord, I'm not going to do self-evaluation. If I'm not approaching prayer humbly, I'm not going to pray in a self-evaluative manner. If I'm not thinking humbly of myself, if my needs are all greater than your needs, what's going on with you? Okay, that's great, but listen to what's going on with me. I'm not going to intercede on your behalf. I'm too busy focused on myself. So these two Hebrew words for prayer, whether or not you remember tefila, whether or not you remember Palal, remember that when the Bible talks about prayer, it is pointing to, even in its language, the need for humility. And then it's also pointing to the need, the importance, the beauty of reverence. Because I'm evaluating myself before the Lord. I'm evaluating myself in light of God's standards for me. I'm evaluating myself in light of His holiness. I'm interceding because I'm asking Him to do something that only He can do. Because I'm recognizing His power and authority. I don't ask Violet, What's for dinner? Because Violet has no power to make dinner for us. I mean, how many of you, when you had a one-year-old or a two-year-old, were like, oh boy, six o'clock, hey, uh, are you going to do something about dinner? No. She's not in a place to do anything. So when I'm interceding, When I'm evaluating myself, I'm doing so before the Lord. And so even the language that the Bible uses for prayer reminds me that I need to approach Him with a reverence, fitting His holiness, fitting His kingship, fitting His place on the throne. Recognizing that prayer, I'm coming before God, and I'm doing so reverently. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. Because we're called to be familiar with God. He calls himself our Father. He says, you're adopted into my family, you're my children. I don't want Violet, you know, when she's better with words to say like, oh Father, may I talk to you? I want it to be a familiar relationship. But I'm guessing a lot of us have heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Anybody heard that saying before? Now I don't think any of us would admit that we have contempt for God. I don't think any of us would say we have contempt for God. I think the more dangerous one is familiarity breeds complacency. I think the more dangerous one is familiarity breeds apathy. You know what I mean? Like how many of you this morning thought, wow, oh my goodness, my car started. That's incredible. Thank you, Lord. No, because you're used to it. Your car starts. It's what it's supposed to do. Right? Your shoes didn't break when you put them on. Why? Because that's what shoes do. They fit. They work. I think the more dangerous thing is familiarity breeds complacency. And when we bring complacency, when we bring just, oh, it's prayer, this is what we do, when we bring that attitude, we lose the reverence of going before the Holy Lord in prayer. So I love even the language that Psalms uses to describe praying and prayer. And then what do we see in the Psalms themselves? These three remembrances, the one that we're leading into, first, Prayer should remind us of God's sovereignty. And this is a wonderful encouragement. This is a wonderful gift for the believer. A remembrance that God is sovereign. A remembrance that whatever is going on in the world, whatever may be wrong, whatever may be weighing on me, God is sovereign over it. He has authority over it. He has power over it. He is on His throne. None of that is diminished. Psalm 69, 13. As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. Listen to this phrase that the psalmist uses. As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. How often do we include in our prayer life at an acceptable time? God, according to your timetable, If that's a day, if that's a week, if that's a month, if that's a year, whatever that timetable is, you determine it, God. One of the things I've been guilty of in my life, one of the things I hear when I talk about people at prayer, as we lament what seems to us to be an unanswered prayer, well, why are you lamenting this? Because it hasn't happened yet. I've been praying for three weeks. I've been praying for three years. I've been praying for, right? Like, I've been praying for this determined set time period that I had in my mind. And the fact that it hasn't played out the way I want it to in this time frame has led me to, it's unanswered. Who was here, this was now four years ago maybe, we had Don Schaefer, a missionary to Japan, and he was sharing about a lady in the church whose husband was saved in the last years of his life. And she'd been praying for him to be saved for 27 years And when he accepted Christ, when he declared Christ as Lord, her response was, oh my goodness, praise God, I didn't think he was going to answer it so quickly. I I have not stopped thinking about that lady. I, I, I truthfully think about that woman multiple times a week. I've been praying for 27 years. I didn't think God was going to move that quickly. That's a recognition of the sovereignty of God's timetable. And the psalmist says, at an acceptable time, O Lord, answer me. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come. This is Jesus saying, hey, you want to know how to pray? I'm going to teach you how to pray. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Romans 1, 9-10, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. As you're reading through Paul's letters in the course of your life, if you want to pay attention to this idea of sovereignty, of submission to God's will, submission to God's timing, just highlight or circle or draw a little box around every time Paul alludes to this was my plan, this was my timetable, but the Holy Spirit told me, no, this is the timetable. I mean, pay attention to how many times in the epistles He's like, hey, I wanted to come to you last year. I wanted to come to you earlier. I wanted to be there previously. But God said no. But God said wait. But God said not yet. Prayer has to be done in submission to God's sovereignty, in recognition of God's sovereignty. Romans eight twenty six to 27 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Just time out, okay? Pause, hit the pause button, pause TiVo. If you're ever feeling despondent or discouraged, if you're ever feeling unlovable, if you're ever feeling unworthy, rejected, desolate, the Holy Spirit spends His time interceding for you. Come on now. That's incredible. I don't know how to pray like I'm supposed to. So the Holy Spirit says, I'll intercede for Sam on his behalf. Oh, come on, friends. That's beautiful. Okay, play, resume. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Pete Lovejoy, a wonderful, wise man, used to say this, don't pray in an advisory capacity. We're not meant to pray. It's not, hey, Lord, it's Sam. I'm going to give you some advice on how to proceed here. Uh, I was listening to... It. Why are we talking about this? Why, why bring this up? Our church does it well. Our family does it well. We do... it right. Like, why are we looking at this stuff? Because we have to realize how the world approaches prayer, and I'm talking about the Christian world. There is a very... You know, we try and be very respectful, right? We don't know people's hearts. But there are times where we have to point at things that are said and done within the church as warning signs. Just within the last two weeks... There's a very famous pastor leading a very large church talking about things. And his point that he was making was, you know, if God would just ask my advice, like here's what I would advise God so that this situation could be resolved. No, I'm not on the advisory team. You're not on the advisory team. Don't pray in an advisory capacity. The Psalms remind us Lord, here's my prayer. At Your acceptable time, in Your sovereign will, answer it. Respond how You will. This is Your authority. This is who You are. We pray in recognition of God's sovereignty. The second thing that I believe the Psalms reminds us of, reminds me of, teaches me, Psalm 109, 3-4. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. Psalm 109 is a a psalm of lament in many of its places. It's the psalmist recognizing life is hard. Life is painful. Life is difficult. There are adversaries. There's antagonism. There's external threats to my soul. I would bet that all of us could raise our hand and say we've been there. We've been there thinking life is hard. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Why am I feeling this pain? What's the psalmist's response? They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. The actual Hebrew words there translate to, I am prayer. This is my identity. Would would any of us not... Quirk our head to the side. You meet me for the first time. We're at a cookout. All right, we're all at Mike's house. You know Mike. I know Mike. We don't know each other. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Brian. Ah, oh, sweet. I'm Prayer. What? Your parents named you Prayer? No, no. That's just that's my identity. That's who I am. That's what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, "I am Prayer." You cannot separate Prayer. You cannot separate me going before the Lord. From who I am, in the face of adversity, in the face of difficulty, in the face of pain, in the face of obstacles, in the face of antagonism, I am prayer. Don't raise your hands. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I could raise my hand. If we were to raise our hand, I would be the first one. In fact, I'll go ahead and put my hand up. Anybody ever forgot to pray because of how painful life is? Because life is so overwhelming, because I'm so busy, because I'm so stressed, prayer is maybe the first thing that gets cut from my day. I don't have time for prayer. Have you seen my to-do list? Have you seen the overwhelming things that I'm facing? I don't have time for prayer. I'll get to it tomorrow. No, the psalmist reminds us that in the face of life, I am prayer. Prayer has to be foundational to our lives. Bible quiz time. In Ephesians, who is identified as God's house? His people. God's house is a house of prayer. His people are meant to be a house of prayer. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer Acts 2, 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4, 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We cannot allow life to separate us from prayer. If prayer is recognition of God's sovereignty, if prayer is humbling ourselves before the Lord, if prayer is interceding for those around us, we cannot allow us or allow life to separate us from prayer. If prayer is adoration of God, if prayer is praising God, giving thanks to God, rejoicing Prayer has to be who we are. We have to be able to say, hey, we're Community Bible Church. We are prayer. Whatever your name is. Hi, I'm filling in the blank. I am prayer. I love that the psalmist says, I didn't, I didn't try and deal with my detractors. I didn't worry about defending myself in the public eye. I didn't worry about that. In the face of difficulty, I gave myself to prayer. This has to be true of us. We have to be praying for one another. We have to be praying for the world. We have to be praying for the mission of the church. We have to be praying about who we are. I mean, prayer has to be who we are because we're God's house and He calls His house a house of prayer. And then the Psalms describe prayer in a very unique and beautiful way. Listen to how the Psalms describe prayer in Psalm 141. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you in the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Set a guard over this. Watch this. What in the world? Isn't incense like you burn it and you hum and you're trying to find nirvana? Like... Are Christians allowed to talk about incense? What is he getting at? Let's dive in. This is why I say it's a joy to study Scripture. This is why it's a privilege to study Scripture. This is why you can't discount any part of the Bible. Because if we want to understand Psalm 141, if we want to understand when the psalmist says, Lord, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, we've got to go back. We've got to go back into Exodus and Leviticus. I don't get those books, man. Leviticus is like 17 straight chapters on temple measurements. I struggle with reading those books. Okay, well now we're going to look at why those books are a joy. Now we're going to look at why those sections that we might think, what is, what is he getting at here? Why do I need to know this? We need to know this so that we can understand when the psalmist says, let my prayers be counted as incense. The entirety of the Bible is beautiful. The way it weaves together is incredible. This is Exodus 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. So the ark... The mercy seat. God said, this is this, the mercy seat. This is where I come to tabernacle, to dwell among my people in the Old Testament, to converse with the priests, to interact with the priests. This is my mercy seat. Place the altar of incense directly in front of it. That's a place of prominence. That's a place of importance. He says, place it in front of the mercy seat, and Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year. Throughout your generations, it is most holy to the Lord. The Lord goes on, he says, and I'm going to butcher these pronunciations because they're Middle Eastern spices. Take sweet spices, stacte and ankya and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves." It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any of it like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from his people. God took incense very seriously. He says, place it before my mercy seat. This is what you want. I mean, he gave the recipe to the people. He says, This is the recipe. This is the, what's the word he used? This is the composition. Don't mess with it. Don't change it. Don't use it for yourself. Don't use it for the average. Don't use it for the mundane. This is holy. God takes this incredibly seriously. Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. Now, Dadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That's a hard passage. Aaron, when you read the whole chapter, Aaron struggles with that. Aaron has a, Aaron has a tough time wrapping his mind around it at first. Be honest. That's a hard passage. This is total hypothetical. But do we really think that their hearts were to insult God? I mean, these were priests. Their lives were given to the service of the Lord. We don't know what their hearts were. Maybe they really were. We don't know. That's a hard passage because what we're tempted to do, what we're not even tempted, what we're inclined to do is to say, well, that's kind of, I mean, you know, they were just trying to offer incense to God. How many times have we used the phrase, well, their heart was in the right place? Good intentions. They had good intentions. Not about our good intentions. God said, this is the incense that you offer to me. Here are the parameters. Here is the composition. Here is the makeup. Here is what I have established. Here is what I have set forth as right. Don't change it. If you change it, there are consequences. When you read the chapters between Exodus and Leviticus, you see that God lays out, there are consequences if you mess with what I gave you. God's not being mean here. God's not being unfair here. He's saying, look, there are consequences when you approach me in a wrong manner. There are consequences when you violate my holiness in an improper manner. I don't want that to happen. That's why I'm going to tell you how to do it. And they violated it. And they dealt with the consequences. Leviticus 26, 27 to 28. So keep all this in mind, the seriousness with which God takes incense. Leviticus 26, 27 to 28, verse 31 as well. But in spite of this, if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. I will lay your cities waste I will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. I will not pay attention to your incense. Isaiah 1 12 to 16. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. What's going on in Isaiah? What's this context where God says, no, your incense is an abomination to me. Your assemblies, your solemn assemblies are an abomination. The people were going through the motions. The people wanted to chase after idols. The people wanted to conform to the world around them. The people wanted to live by whatever standard they chose. And then they were like, but we'll still go through the rituals. We'll still observe the feasts. We'll still go through the processes you laid out. And God says, no. He says, no, you don't get it both ways. You don't say we're going to live how we want and go through the rituals of what you've called us to do, and then you have to be pleased by that. He says, incense is an abomination to me. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. God lays it out. He lays out the holiness of all of this. There's a phrase that we may hear in the Christian life, in preaching, teaching, reading, podcasts, whatever. I was grilled on this this phrase as part of my ordination. The idea of wholly sanctified, not H O L Y, but W H O L L Y. Holy, holistically, entirely sanctified. You know me. You know I love sanctification. You know I love that word. You know I love that topic and that idea. And the idea of wholly sanctified that we all must realize and recognize as our calling as Christians is what part of our lives was marred by sin? Does sin just affect us mentally? Does sin just affect us emotionally? Does it just affect us spiritually, physically? No. All of our existence is marred by sin. The existence of the world is marred by sin. So in the same way that the entirety of my being was marred by sin and given to sin before Jesus washed me in His blood, now I must be wholly sanctified. I must be entirely set apart from from sin for holiness. It's not, okay, well, physically and emotionally and spiritually I'm holy, so I'll just kind of keep, you know, this mental, I'll hold that back. No, it's, it's the entirety of me. It's the entirety of my life. The entirety of my approach to life must be set apart for God's holiness by His standards of holiness. The Lord says, you don't get to go through the motions. You don't get to fake it. I'm not pleased with that. So earlier where I said, you know, familiarity can breed complacency, we talked about the need for reverence. Guys, we're gonna keep looking at this. We're gonna keep talking about how to approach in prayer, but we have to approach reverently. I mean, that's the king. What do we who was here last week for Easter? Who was with us for Easter? Not a hard question, not a trick question. <laughs> Where did we? Where's Jesus? Is Jesus on the cross, the throne, or the tomb? Throne. Who gets to sit on the throne? The king. The court jester doesn't sit on the throne. The foot soldier doesn't sit on the throne. The cook doesn't sit on the throne. The king sits on the throne. Think of your favorite authority figure. And I'm talking like, big deal authority figure right Maybe it's maybe it's a famous pastor. Maybe it's maybe it's Charles Stanley, maybe it's Spurgeon, maybe it's a famous church figure. Maybe it's a politician. maybe it's a president you know when, like the first president you ever voted for who you just had so much like maybe it's a world leader, maybe it's a co- maybe whoever think of the person that you just have unlimited respect for what they did in their authority and their position. We'll pretend it's it's a president you're walking into the Oval Office. You've seen pictures on TV, you've seen the, the solemnity of this place, world leaders gather here, you're walking into the Oval Office. What up? What's going on, dude? No, you're walking in like, wow, I, I can't believe I'm here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be appropriate. I'm gonna be respectful. I'm gonna recognize that this is a big deal. Do we approach prayer recognizing, okay, God links prayer to incense? God links prayer to the offerings of incense. If you keep reading, and we could talk about this for like three months straight. If you keep reading in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus leads his people in victory procession, where we are creating a fragrant aroma. The Bible constantly talks about this idea of God's people offering Him an incense through their lives. The Old Testament lays out how seriously God took it. So the question is, do I approach prayer with a recognition of, oh my goodness, I'm going before the throne of the Lord. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Why, At the end when we say, in Jesus' name we pray, in the name of our Lord. Because it's only by His name that I'm even standing there in prayer. My name doesn't carry enough weight to open that door. My name doesn't get me into that restaurant. My name doesn't get me to the front of the line. Right? When you're with somebody and they name drop, oh yeah, I'm I'm with so-and-so. Oh cool, come on, come on in. No, we pray in the name of Christ because that is the only name that gives us access to the throne. That's the only name that gives us the right to pray. We have to remember that prayer is is an offering to the Lord. Are we called to hold back in our offerings? Are we called to offer God our second best? Are we called to offer God our lame, crippled animal? Are we called to offer God the runt of the litter? Read through the Old Testament. Read through those passages that lay out the seriousness with which God takes this and realize that we are called to offer God our best. We have to give prayer the reverence that is associated with making an offering before the Lord. I mean, next time you pray, think about that. God, I offer you this prayer. I present this to you. What's the psalmist say? Let my prayer be counted as incense. It's a wonderful, beautiful, holy thing. It should be familiar with us. It should be part of our lives. I'm Sam, I am prayer. I give myself to prayer. We have to learn to love this. If we don't, okay, praise God for your honesty, seriously. So pray, Lord, I don't love prayer. I don't crave prayer. I view prayer as a, oh shoot, let me make sure I get it in before my eyes close on the pillow. Teach me how to approach prayer with a holy heart. Teach me how to approach prayer like the psalmist did, like the psalmist does. Teach me how to approach prayer like Jesus did. I mean, read through the Gospels and look at how many times Jesus withdrew to pray. Wasn't the point of Jesus' ministry to teach people and to heal the crowds and to be with the people? Why would he he not do that? Jesus knew he only had those three years of his ministry. And Jesus knew, okay, I'm going to be a man of habit who regularly withdraws to pray. This, This has to be who we are. This ought to be our heart. It's a delight. The king of the universe says, I want you to have this access. I want you to engage with this. Prayer is not a habit. Prayer is not a chore. And by habit, I mean like a bad habit, right? Like, oh, I've got to go through it. No, prayer should be a good habit. Prayer should be something that we look forward to, that we celebrate, that we crave, as we praise God, as we humble ourselves, as we recognize His sovereignty, as we submit to His kingship. And a lot of times it's not that for people. A lot of times, it's not that for the church. When I talk to people, I hear, oh, "I'm just not good with words." Honestly, I'm not good with words. I don't, I don't know the big fancy words. I speak in one-syllable words. I can't pray. I don't like to talk for a long time. Right? My conversational limit is like three sentences. I, I can't talk for a long time. I'm not good at this. Anybody ever said those things? You don't have to raise your hands. Anybody ever use that excuse of, I'm not good at it, I'm not comfortable with it? I don't know the big words, I don't know the fancy things, I can't pray pretty. So I can't do this. So I won't do this. Who are those excuses all about? The individual. Well, prayer's not about God on his throne asking for an offering of prayer, asking for an offering of incense. Jesus didn't die to give me access to pray. No, no, prayer is about, I just don't think I'm very good at this, so I'm going to so neglect all those other things because I don't like to talk for a long time, because I don't know. Right? Like those excuses are all about us, and they're all lies. They're just straight-up lies from the enemy that he has used to get his people away from being a house of prayer. Those are all terrible reasons that the enemy has convinced us are valid reasons to not be a house of prayer. Guys, prayer's not about fancy words. Prayer's not about, well, I talked for an hour. Oh, you how long did you pray for? 55 minutes? 60 minutes. I'm better than you. That's not prayer. That's not what prayer's about. What did Jesus say to his apostles? You've got one guy over here who prays with the biggest, most impressive words prays for a long time, looks the most well put together. It's this incredible intellectual oration. Oh my goodness, look how smart he is. Look at everything he knows. Look at how well he understands theology. Wow, that's impressive. Then over here in the corner, you've got a guy who says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, oh, pray like that. That guy over there, he gets it. Pray like that. That's how you pray. Listen to these verses. Because God knows. God knows the tactics of the enemy. He knows the lies that we're going to fall for. He knows the traps we're going to fall into. And so He instructs us otherwise. He reminds us otherwise. He encourages us. Please be encouraged. If you're someone who feels like, I can't pray, I don't pray because I'm not good at it, please listen to this. Matthew 6, 5-8. to Jesus speaking. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. As the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Well, if I just, if I pack as many impressive sounding words as I can into this prayer, then God will be more pleased. I'll just pray for a really long time and I'll say whatever I can think of, and I'll just put in a bunch of these and thou's and you know, seven-syllable words, and that'll be impressive to God. Oh. He says, don't heap up empty phrases. That's what they do. They think they're going to be heard because they just talk for a long time. That's not what it's about. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Ecclesiastes 5 1 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. To draw near to listen I, I've been I've been convicted about this for a couple of years in of my life, and I've been trying to shorten my prayer time. Like when I sit down to pray first thing in the morning to start my day, I've been trying to shorten it because I don't want to be that fool who thinks, well, if I just talk for long enough, then I'll say something right. You know, let me play the odds, right? If I say ten things, maybe six of them will be good. Well, if I say twenty things, what if, like, eighteen are good? So I'll just, I'll just keep talking and try and fill the space. I've been trying to go before the Lord and pray in a very simple way. God, you're on your throne. I praise you for it. And this isn't, like, it's not, this isn't the exact words I use, but this is, this is the pattern I've been trying to take. So I look at Scripture. As I look at what the Bible lays out, I've been trying to pray with just a simple reminder to myself that I am before the king on his throne. And then a request, so God, lead me in this time. Teach me what to pray for. And then I pray for one or two things. And then I say, what? To draw near to listen is better. And so then it's just, okay, Lord, speak. I love, I love my name, if that's okay to say. I love my name, Samuel, because it reminds me of Samuel in the Bible. What did Samuel say? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Guys, prayer shouldn't be scary. Prayer shouldn't be intimidating. Prayer shouldn't be, we're doing a church picnic, well, only the pastor can pray, otherwise the hot dogs aren't holy. If we need somebody to pray, all right, why don't you pray? You think your prayers aren't as worthy of being heard as mine? That's crazy. Prayer is about going before our Father because we love time with Him. Prayer is about going before the King because we recognize His sovereignty. Prayer is about interceding on behalf of of our family and our friends because we love them more than we love ourselves. Prayer's not about ritual. Prayer's about sacrifice. Sacrifice to the Lord. And as believers, haven't we said we want our lives to be an offering of sacrifice to the Lord? Prayer is a wonderful, wonderful part of that. So this week, as we consider these psalms on prayer, as we consider these things, let's pray. Apply the Acts model. Lord, I praise you that you are sovereign. God, I confess that I don't always approach prayer with a desire for it to be holy. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit intercedes for me. Lord, I ask you that you would teach me to love prayer. Teach me how to pray. Apply the Acts model to prayer. It's read, we're going to read Daniel 9. Look at how Daniel prays. Look at the heart posture that Daniel has as he prays. And then we're going to read Colossians 4, 1 to 5. So it's not even two chapters this week. That's one chapter and five verses. We can all do this. If it takes you two days, three days, who cares? I'm not checking in. But let's see what God's Word teaches us about prayer. And then remember... This verse that we've picked for a few weeks to focus on. Again, we're not memorizing this just to say we memorized it. We're looking to, we're seeking to, we're striving to internalize it. We are giving ourselves in a relentless pursuit to be people who have hidden God's Word in our heart. That's why we're focusing on specific verses. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How does that relate to prayer? Am I praying for the lost? Am I praying with love for the lost? It's easy when it's someone we know. I have lost people in my life who I I personally know and care deeply about. It's easy for me to remember to pray for them. I don't always remember to pray for the lost people in Mansfield. The faceless lost person who works at Kroger. The nameless lost person who just passed me on the road. I, I don't always remember to pray for them. So am I praying for the lost as I consider this idea of the church being a witness everywhere in all aspects? For my lost coworkers, for my lost neighbors, am I praying for them? And, scarier one, am I praying for open doors to share the gospel? Am I praying for, well, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in a long time because the conversation just hasn't popped up. Are you praying for open doors? I will go so far as to say this. Every time I've prayed for an open door, I am very surprised by how quickly God answers. Every time I've been brave enough to pray for an open door, and I deliberately use that word because there are times where I don't want to be that brave, I'm much more comfortable being selfish. Well, I'm running to the hardware store because I need one thing, because there's a pipe leaking in my basement. I don't have time to talk to somebody about the gospel, so nope, I'm not going to pray for an open door this time. I have to go to the grocery store for one thing. I don't want to be distracted. I have enough to do on my to-do list, so I'm not going to pray for an open door. So yeah, I deliberately say, am I brave enough to pray for an open door? And I have, every time I've been brave enough to pray for an open door, God always blows me away with the speed with which he answers. Are we praying for open doors? Are we praying for the opportunities to share the gospel? Why would we not want to? Why would that not be our heart cry? And so then apply. Pray for discernment to recognize the open doors. Pray that God will open your eyes to recognize the open doors to share the gospel, to proclaim the truth of Jesus, to point to Christ, to point to the King. Pray for the bravery to go through them. How you doing? Uh, Not good. Oh, Sorry to hear. Okay, bye. How you doing? Not good. Yeah, why? What's going on? This, this, this. Hmm, that's tough. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, how does that make you? Do, you? do you feel like you have hope for this? Do you feel like you have joy in this? No, not so much. All right, let's talk. Recognize. Pray, Lord, teach me to recognize the open doors. God, give me the boldness to go through them. And give me the wisdom to speak plainly. To point to Jesus. That's what the world needs. It should be part of our prayer life. Let me say this one last time. Prayer is a delight. May we be a church that is made up of people whose lives reflect that. May we be a house of prayer. May we say, We are Community Bible Church. We are prayer. Please join me in it. Lord, we don't always get this right. We offer unauthorized incense we change what you've laid out for us, thinking that we know best. Forgive us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for how gen- gentle and loving you are towards me in this. God, you are worthy of our best offering of prayer. So Lord, make the prayers of this people gathered here, this body here, these sons and daughters of yours, these brothers and sisters of mine, make our prayers a pleasing incense to you